Illuminati Insider Revelations, Machinations of Secret Societies, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick's op-ed for Scientific America is fodder for UFO debunkers. There's been an expose of Wikipedia's secret cabal of UFO debunkers. Belgium becomes the 31st signatory to the Artemis Accords, ensuring US supremacy in space affairs for decades to come. A second edition of Magic Eyes Only covers 104 UFO crash retrieval operations from around the world. A report by the Department of Defense's Inspector General points to flaws in the current UFO reporting mechanisms by the different military services. Yuri Geller tells about Werner von Braun's showing him alien bodies at a top-secret NASA facility corroborating claims of a Fourth Reich secretly controlling NASA. Those and more stories in ExoPolitics Today, the Week in Review. You're listening to ExoPolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala, your source for the uncensored truth regarding the human, extraterrestrial, global, and political agenda. Click the like button and subscribe to this channel. And now, here's Dr. Michael Sala. Well, welcome to the January 27 Week in Review for ExoPolitics Today. I'm looking forward to covering what is really a fascinating week. And uh, again, I'm in my Hawaii shirt because I am now living in Key West, Florida, and enjoying the sunshine and warm weather here. I know some people have been caught up in the snow. We, we did leave that, uh, the Tennessee snow. We escaped from that just in time. So I, I do look forward to be able to be more active here in the warmer climates. Now, I begin with this interview I did with Leo Zagami, the ancient connection between the Illuminati and extraterrestrial life. Now, Leo Zagami has a fascinating story. I mean, he was uh, someone who reached very high levels in many different secret societies. Uh, he has a, a, a bloodline pedigree in the secret societies. And he, at some point, objected to the rituals and the practices in these secret societies, and he left. He left, and as he began to expose more about what he knew about the secret societies, he ran into problems in Italy. He escaped to Norway. Uh, things got very intense with for him in Norway, so he had to um, escape to the United States and flee Europe uh, because uh, there were many people that were not happy with him revealing all these secrets of the Illuminati, the secret societies. So it's a fascinating interview. Uh, Leo has a unique perspective on where our planet is heading. He is not very pessimistic. He is not very optimistic for the future. Uh, he, he thinks that the controllers, the secret societies, are still exercising a lot of influence um, and that no matter how much is revealed about them, uh, humanity hasn't learned its lessons and we are still being easily manipulated. Now, I proposed a contrary view that uh, humanity, uh, the consciousness is rising, uh, people are awakening. Uh, Leo thought that that wasn't enough, wasn't happening fast enough. 
anyway, fascinating interview. Uh, he is someone that a lot of people uh, want to learn more about and want to hear more from. So definitely take a listen to that interview with Leo Zagami. Now, the former director of the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick, wrote an op-ed for Scientific American where he laments that, quote, after painstakingly assembling a team of highly talented and motivated personnel and working with them to develop a rational, systematic and science-based strategy to investigate these phenomena, our efforts were ultimately overwhelmed by sensational but unsupported claims that ignored contradictory evidence yet captured the attention of policymakers and the public, driving legislative battles and dominating the public narrative. Now, you know, this to me sounds like sour grapes by uh, Sean Kirkpatrick because uh, he was essentially driven out from the ARA office, from leadership of that, because people were dissatisfied with his performance. People were saying that whistleblowers were going to him, revealing what they knew, presenting whatever documentary evidence, whatever they had learned, and he was ignoring that. I mean, he was treating whistleblower, whistleblower testimony as kind of anecdotes, as like just stories. And it's like, well, hang on, if you've got people with eyewitness testimony, that's evidence. And if they come to you and they say, well, there's that they know of documentary evidence or know of where these projects are taking place, you can't treat that as hearsay. Uh, but that apparently is what uh, Sean, Sean Kirkpatrick was doing and people objected. Nevertheless, uh, there are a number of people with a scientific background and again, you know, it's always worth remembering that when we talk about science, I mean, there's two main branches of science. The one branch, the physical sciences, deal with physical evidence, uh, empirical phenomena that you can be measured, that can be measured, that can be assessed, evaluated, and supporting one hypothesis or another. And there are also the social sciences, where you are able to develop conceptual frameworks and rigorous protocols for evaluating various kind of hypotheses about human behavior or what what people are doing. And so you do have these two branches of scientists. And often what happens is that people like uh, Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick and Professor R.V. Loeb, who do come from that physical sciences background, they kind of try and pull a fast one on a lot of people saying, well, yeah, this is a quote, science-based strategy to tackle the UFO issue and avoid politicising issues, as though interviewing whistleblowers, evaluating their testimonies, doing uh, any kind of verification of their testimonies is, is not science, that somehow it's like anecdote, hearsay. And that's that's just nonsense. And it, it, is, it is just a kind of bias by these physical scientists that overlook that, yeah, uh, you can actually evaluate what people say, what they believe that they have experienced, and, and that is science. It's part of the social sciences. I mean, uh, I, for example, 
worked in the Department of Political Science. It wasn't the, the Department of Political Arts, wasn't the uh, Department of Political Magic, it was political science because political scientists like myself were trained in various conceptual frameworks and methodologies for evaluating contemporary events around the world that typically involved what people were seeing or experiencing. And so, yeah, that is science. So, yeah, that is something that always kind of irks me about a lot of these um, uh, physical science types like uh, Sean Kirkpatrick, Avi Loeb, advocating a, quote, science-based strategy. Now, there's still two problems with this kind of rigorous approach or this science-based approach. Uh, the first is that this science-based approach towards flying saucers UFOs was adopted in the 1950s and got nowhere, as the 1969 Condon report showed. So there were those that proposed that this was the way to do it. You know, forget about uh, people's claims that they interacted with flying saucer craft or with the occupants of flying saucers. Uh, forget those claims. Forget claims of you know crashes of UFOs and secret midnight operations to retrieve the craft and the and the bodies of dead extraterrestrials. You know, forget all that because that's all hearsay. Let's focus on the empirical evidence. You know, whether it's done by whether you, you record the data by radar, whether you record it by cameras, videos, or or, or direct pilot sightings. Uh, let's take that data and call that science and let's say that this is the scientific approach we're going to take to UFOs and you know, forget about all that other stuff. Well, that didn't get anywhere. That, that was adopted in the 1950s and got nowhere and by 1969 the Condon report put an end to Project Blue Book which really was essentially proposing this kind of science-based strategy. And the second problem is that the UFO phenomenon has always been a top national security issue. Once the military intelligence insiders or leaders identified some of the craft as extraterrestrial or crypto-terrestrial. I mean, that's a term that's worth uh, remembering because extraterrestrial, we're talking about beings coming from other planets arriving here in advanced spacecraft. Uh, but there's also crypto-terrestrials, beings that live under the Earth or under the Earth's oceans that also have these advanced spacecraft, that also have flying saucer-type vehicles. And so the UFO phenomenon, uh, up until, say, the 1940s, 1950s, was exclusively either extraterrestrial or crypto-terrestrial. Since that time, there's been a lot of uh, retrieval and reverse engineering of some of these craft, and now there's been um, secret space programs. And so, so there's been an official cover-up of these extraterrestrial and crypto-terrestrial craft, and this official cover-up began uh, soon after it was realised what the UFOs really were or what the flying saucers were. I mean, uh, if you go back to the early uh, late 1940s and early 1950s, uh, the researchers and the pub general public referred to flying saucers. 
and they didn't refer to UFOs. The UFO term was introduced under uh, the, invest the official investigations launched by the Air Force. I believe it was a Project Grudge uh, that came out and introduced the, uh, the UFO term for the first time. If it wasn't Project Grudge, definitely it was a Project Blue Book. And so they introduced that because it was a form of deception, because it was known what these flying saucers were, that they were these extraterrestrial spacecraft piloted by beings from other worlds or beings from the inner Earth, and they were, were known. They were identified. These were flying saucers was the terminology that was used initially. Uh, now, not all of the craft were shaped like flying saucers, so that's a part of the problem with that with that terminology. But eventually the UFO term was introduced, unidentified flying object, and, and that was deceptive because these weren't unidentified to national security leaders. Uh, they were unidentified as far as the general public was concerned because uh, the government and the military played were, were deceptive. They were saying, well, we don't know what they are, uh, so we've got to use appropriate language. So let's kind of call them unidentified flying objects. And more recently, we have uh, the, the UAP term being introduced. Again, folk the focus is on unidentified anomalous phenomena. And both of these terms are very, are very deceptive. Uh, so nev nevertheless, it's uh, clear that this science-based strategy that Kirkpatrick was proposing in his op-ed really was just another attempt to perpetuate the, the, the cover-up. So as, as far as I'm concerned, uh, people are too aware of the data to, to kind of be fooled by this. So you know, good riddance to Sean Kirkpatrick. Okay, so here's an expose of Wikipedia's secret cabal of UFO debunkers. And it's very interesting. This is a, a, a YouTube video uh, you can watch. It's an interview um, where it is discussed. This is the UFO cover-up of the Wikipedia. It's on the Good Trouble show. And this, I think, uh, does a good job in pointing out uh, the extent of the cover-up and, and how these Wikipedia editors go in and suppress the information just by editing out any information that's contrary to the narrative that, uh, to the official narrative that these UFOs are not known, uh, that people claiming to have interacted with the occupants of these craft, they're, 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 they're just uh, delusional, and anyone claiming to have been part of or, or witnessed a secret space program, you know, they are... Not not credible witnesses, and so they can be scrubbed from the Wikipedia page, and and that did happen to me. I mean, it happened about ten years ago. Even though I'm a researcher, I don't I don't claim to have been part of a secret space program or claim to have had contact with extraterrestrial intelligence. I just research claims of people who say they have, and I do my best to vet them and decide whether or not they're telling the truth. And everyone that I support is a person that I think is telling the truth, that, that I have vetted to the best of my abilities. 
Now, this claim of Wikipedia having a cabal of debunkers that are well-funded and discredits information and perpetuates a cover-up of extraterrestrial life is, is something that's supported by a document that was released by Edward Snowden uh, concerning the Five Eyes countries, or the intelligence services of the Five Eyes countries, that is uh, Australia, Canada, Britain, United Kingdom, uh, so uh, United Kingdom, the USA, and New Zealand. And so the intelligence uh, communities of those five countries uh, includes Britain's uh, GCHQ, uh, Government Communications Headquarters. Um, and this document that was released by Edward Snowden uh, confirmed that there was an online deception program that featured UFOs. So it's been confirmed through a leaked uh, Five Eyes document that there are efforts to discredit any information concerning UFOs. And uh, so, yeah, so the Wikipedia removed its page on me and also removed any page on exopolitics. Now, exopolitics, I think is it's important to keep in mind that unlike ufology, which is based on a deception and in a way perpetuates that deception, exopolitics goes to the heart of what is happening. That is that there is a lot of politics or national security concerns over the extraterrestrial issue. And because of that, because the language of exopolitics is opens the mind, that is why it was removed from Wikipedia. And that, that is why uh, there is, even to this day, a lot of UFO debunkers or a lot of UFO skeptics uh, refused to use the exopolitics term uh, because this is something that in a way undermines the current global paradigm of, uh, of these UFO craft being unidentified and us needing to conduct better science or more rigorous scientific protocols to understand that. Because that, as far as I'm concerned, when I first got involved in this field uh, 23 years ago now, uh, one of the things that uh, became clear was that there were a lot of UFO researchers that endorsed this scientific protocol and they thought that any kind of uh, political analysis was speculation. I mean, they just straight out said, well, that's speculation. And it's like, well, no, this is political analysis. It is part of a political science. And they said, no, no, if, if you're not out there collecting data and evidence, hard evidence that can be documented and shown and, and is rep can be replicated, then you're just conducting conspiracy. And it's just like, well, that's nonsense. But nevertheless, that's the way UFO researchers conduct themselves. So they uh, unwittingly, uh, I think, perpetuated the UFO secrecy system by removing exopolitics and supporting its removal uh, from the field and really kind of like attacking anyone promoting the exopolitics term. So as far as Wikipedia is concerned, it's uh, removed uh, people that have proposed or promoted the exopolitics cause, myself included. It has also it, uh, censored anyone promoting 
the belief or idea that the UFO phenomenon uh, behind that lies uh, the extraterrestrials or crypto-terrestrials. So this Wikipedia cabal is uh, definitely very real. Now, for those of you that are interested in learning more about this GCHQ document des describing online deception programs, you can go to my website. Here's, here's the article, Leaked NSA Document Confirms Online Covert Deception Involving UFOs. So this leaked NSA document, this, this comes from the treasure trove of NSA documents that Edward Snowden released to various media sources, and these sources published a selection of these documents, and one of these NSA documents was, in fact, this online deception program that was described in this GCHQ uh, document. So that's on my website, exopolitics.org, if you want to learn more about that. So now we move on to this story about Belgium becoming the 34, 34th signatory to the Artemis Accords. And the Artemis Accords are bilateral agreements between NASA and 33 other national space programs. So, so these 34 nations all, all, all in all, they have agreements not with each other, but each one has an agreement with the United States or with NASA in particular. So it's like a, think think of the, a bicycle wheel. Uh, you've got your hub, which is the United States, and then you've got 33 spoke, uh, spokes or uh, spokes, yeah. Uh, and these are the different countries, and Belgium became the 33rd spoke in the in this kind of Artemis Accords. And and what this does is that it ensures that the United States will remain the global leader in space affairs for decades to come. And, and I, I think that is actually um, a positive thing. I think that there are people uh, within the uh, space communities of the United States that are trying to promote disclosure, uh, Space Force, Space Command. Those are the two premier uh, entities at the moment in the United States that are playing a very positive role in revealing the truth about what's going on. And I think they're doing it uh, you know, for, for their own interests, uh, but those interests coincide with those of us in the general public that, that want to know the truth. I mean, for as far as Space Force and Space Command is concerned, the sooner the truth is released, the sooner you can have the mass production of a, of a lot of advanced spacecraft that can replace these earthbound aircraft such as the F-22 or F-35. Who'd, who'd want to fly an F-22 or an F-35 or a B-2 bomber when you can fly a anti-gravity spacecraft from here to, to the moon or from here to Mars in like 30 minutes? I mean, who would, if you're a general in a... Any military, you know, wouldn't you want that for all your personnel? Of course you would. So that's, I think this is um, a powerful reason why Space Force and Space Command are, are very eager to promote disclosure because they want a Star Trek future. You know, they want to replace their, uh, their F-22s and the F-35s and B-2s with uh, space cruisers and space carriers. I mean, that's that's normal, very predictable, and we can understand it. And I think it, and, trans, and transparency 
uh, is a, a good thing as well because that means that we all know what's being built and what's being what it's being used for. Whereas at the moment, there's just too much secrecy concerning secret secret space programs. I mean, that's exactly what's going on. Okay, so Stephen Greer made some recent comments about children being uh, abducted or uh, being put through some covert training programs because of their psychic abilities. So this is a video that you can uh, watch on the channel of Jean-Charles Moyen. So here is the video. So Jean-Charles Moyen has a channel. So you can subscribe to that and get the latest information from him. I mean, uh, for those that aren't familiar with Jean-Charles, he is a participant in a joint French-US secret space program. And he's also an extraterrestrial contactee or a starseed. So he put this uh, interview or he put this up because it was prepared by a fellow researcher, Kevin Luengo, I believe he was a former policeman in uh, Quebec, Canada. He put it up that, and, and it shows Stephen Greer actually talking about um, these children who are abducted and recruited into these covert programs, and it's done on their basis of their psychic abilities. Now, the thing is, that particular testimony, and, and it only goes for uh, about five, six minutes. Six minutes. It's it's um, so it, Stephen Greer is speaking in English, of course, and and you got French subtitles, so no problem to to listen to the whole thing for English speakers. And what this testimony does is that it corroborates of Jean Charles Moyen and also Tony Rodriguez that as children uh, they were recruited and evaluated based on their psychic abilities. So that's something that is uh, important to, to acknowledge that you know, Stephen Greer is corroborating what they had to say. So here's an interview I did recently with uh, Ryan Wood, uh, and he and his father uh, are the two principal investigators behind the Majestic Documents, which is a series of leaked government documents that give a lot of details about uh, the extraterrestrial phenomenon, in particular extraterrestrial craft crashing, extraterrestrial beings being recovered, and the protocols and systems in place for those. So what uh, Ryan has done is that he updated his book, Magic Eyes Only, which investigated, the first edition investigated 74 cases of UFO crashes around the world through the lens of the Majestic Documents, using the Majestic Documents as a research tool to better understand and evaluate uh, those crashes. And so the second edition has just come out and it examines 104 cases from around the world. So that's very significant because uh, what we have now is uh, because of whistleblowers like David Grush, who has described 
up to 30 UFO crashes and 40 witnesses about the 40 witnesses to those crashes or material retrieved from those crashes. In fact, we have like a lot more crashes and there's a lot of material or at least a lot of evidence about those crashes and, and what happened there. So magic eyes only. You can uh, learn more about the covert crash retrieval operations that have been conducted uh, around the world. And also he he's done a book on AI, which is uh, kind of fascinating uh, what, what he did uploading a lot of his uh, UFO data accumulated over the decades to an AI chat program. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, this is this is part of the, the future. I mean, I, personally, I do not work with any AI in terms of uploading my material to, their, to the AI programs, uh, but I, I understand that some researchers don't have those kind of qualms and are quite happy to upload their data and see what the AI can can churn out. So that's so he has also another book concerning that. But definitely take a look at Magic Eyes Only. I highly recommend it. Now, Chris Mellon is a individual that worked in the Department of Defense. Uh, he was a, a national, uh, he specialized in national security. And he, uh, while he responded to this op-ed that I mentioned earlier from Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick in Scientific American, uh, and, and this is what he says. I was astonished by one of the central claims made by Dr. Sean Kirkpatrick in his recent article in Scientific American blasting UAP conspiracists. Specifically, his claim that, quote, as of the time of my departure, none let me repeat, none of the conspiracy-minded whistleblowers in the public eye had elected to come to Arrow to provide their evidence and statements for the record despite numerous invitations. End quote. Well, Christopher Mellon, who is himself a former public official, a senior public official, he says he's, he's baffled because in an effort to investigate his investigation, I introduced Dr. Kirkpatrick to the former director of the uh, uh, Advanced Aerial Threat Identification Program, uh, Lou Elizondo, as well as Dr. Eric Davis and Dr. Hal Puroff, both of whom have a reputation for understanding or theorizing about advanced um, technologies that presumably come from extraterrestrial reverse engineering programs. So I believe both Davis and Puroff have been read into some of these programs. And this is known kind of pretty wide, widely within the kind of like the black world. Uh, and so Kirkpatrick was introduced to these individuals, um, but claims that he hasn't spoken to anyone with any knowledge. Because, and he, let's see what uh, Chris Mellon goes on to say. He says, each of these prominent vo voices associated with the ATIP program spent hours briefing Dr. Kirkpatrick in a classified setting. None have received any feedback. Hopefully, the pending report to Congress on the alleged UIP recovery program will describe the specific claims made by, the, made by these and dozens of other witnesses and what Arrow did to evaluate them. So, I mean, he's really calling out uh, Dr. Kirkpatrick, who 
is claiming, well, no one has approached me and has shared any information or any evidence concerning any kind of extraterrestrial or non-human spacecraft that's been recovered and is being studied in the corporate facility. But I, I, I do know that uh, uh, Dr. Davis and Dr. Putoff in particular have direct knowledge of these corporate studies of retrieved UFO material. So I, I think what Chris Mellon is doing is, is kind of like gently calling out uh, Sean Kirkpatrick for, for making a deceptive statement. And that goes to the heart of what I said earlier, that Sean Kirkpatrick was being given briefings and being told by these witnesses, by these whistleblowers or about these whistleblowers by credible people of these programs. And what Kirkpatrick did was to take this kind of like rigid science-only approach saying that, well, these are these, this is just hearsay. You know, unless you show me documents, unless you show me hard evidence, it's just hearsay and dismisses it all. And, of course, people like uh, uh, Davis and Putoff and, and David Grush, you know, these are all people that have worked on various classified programs. And so if you don't listen to them and listen to their testimony, then you're, you're really doing uh, the public a disservice if you are... The head of the Arrow office, and that and that led to his ouster, as I mentioned earlier. Okay, so here's a very interesting um, report that was released by the Inspector General of the uh, Department of Defense. This is Robert Storch, and what he said was he he was very critical of the Pentagon's handling of the UFO topic. His press release states, quote, the Department of Defense Office of Inspector General found that the DOD does not have a comprehensive coordinated approach to address UAPs. The, the DOD Office of Inspector General also found that the Department of Defense's lack of comprehensive coordinated approach to address UAP may pose a threat to military forces and national security. So here you have, again, how this UFO issue is being presented by public officials as a national security threat. And so this is something that's quite noteworthy because for decades, uh, for 70 years after the 1953 Robinson panel, that was a panel convened and funded by the CIA uh, from 1952 to early 1953, and that panel recommended in a report the debunking of flying saucer reports or UFO reports. And so for 70 years now, UFO reports have been debunked, and, and now they are being taken seriously. So all of a sudden they are presented as a national security threat. So you have to ask yourself, so why is it then that for 70-plus years, UFOs are treated as a joke, as a subject of ridicule. Now they're a national security threat. Well, I mean, back in the back in the day, I mean, wouldn't they have been a much more significant national security threat, you know, given that, uh, you know, we, we didn't have the, the kind of advanced weapons technology that, that we have now? So, um, so 
you know, so after 70 years, now the UFOs are a national security threat. So, uh, you know, will, will the occupants of the UFOs, will they be told that they're a threat now because of pigeon mail or because of an NORAD missile? So, I mean, that's, that's, it really is, is a joke that all of a sudden uh, it's being spun that these are a national security threat. But nevertheless, that's, that's what is, is happening. Um, now, I also posted the link to the full report and I thought there was something interested in the full report that I wanted to kind of like discuss with you. And that is the, the full report by the Inspector General, uh, it notes that, quote, the Department of Defence components have largely excluded geographic combatant command in their respective areas of responsibility in developing UAP policies and procedures. So what, is that, what does that mean? Well, you know, this is a, a very significant point that as far as the Pentagon is concerned, you, you have the administrative uh, aspects of the Pentagon, which is the Joint Chiefs of Staff and, and the heads of the different military departments, the Air Force, the Navy, uh, Space Force, the Marine Corps and the Army, that you, you have the, the heads of these, the, the chiefs, of those different military services uh, meeting in the Joint Chiefs of Staff, uh, but they're really responsible for maintaining uh, readiness. They're really responsible for ensuring the right equipment is there, that, that, that they have the manpower uh, for the different military services. So these perform largely administrative functions. And, th and the thing is that they are the ones that have traditionally been focused on the UFO issue. And they've been doing it in a way that's been uncoordinated, as the Inspector General is reporting. And he says that uh, that they have excluded geographic combatant command. Well, what that means is that, so on the one hand, you have the administrative side of the Pentagon, but on the other hand, you have the combatant commands, which are at the, currently there are 11 combatant commands. These are organized geographically and functionally. So you have like, uh, function, you have geographic commands that are organized in, in terms of, uh, say, you have a Northern Command that looks after North America, Southern Command looks after South, uh, the, the Southern America, uh, then, then and Central America. Then you have, uh, say, Central Command, which looks after uh, the kind of uh, Europe, uh, the kind of uh, Middle East, uh, then you have Indo-Pacific Command, which looks after the Indian Ocean, the Pacific Ocean, uh, and, and so forth. So this this is the geographic uh, organization of the of the Pentagon, and of course Space Command, which looks after anything above sixty miles uh, the, above the Earth's atmosphere, which is the von Kármán line, which is the the way in which uh, space is is where it's considered to begin. So this is how the uh, military is organised, that this is where operations dealing with national security threats actually occur with these combatant commands. So when the UFO issue has not been reported to these combatant commands, what that indicates is that UFOs are not a serious national security issue. And, and as I said, for, for seven years... Um, that that has been the case. But what is important to point out is that there was a, um, 
memorandum released called the Bollander Memo. And what it shows is that uh, there were two tracks for reporting UFOs uh, throughout the Project Blue Book era. And those two tracks were uh, if a UFO was not deemed to be a national security threat, then it would go to the Project Blue Book and they would go through their process of like using the rigorous scientific protocol to prove that this was just a weather balloon or misidentification of Venus. I mean, that was essentially what was happening. But if that UFO sighting was a, a genuine national security concern, in other words, it was an extraterrestrial craft or a crypto-terrestrial craft, it wouldn't go to Project Blue Book for evaluation. It would go to some other entity within the Air Force that would actually uh, deal with that threat. And, and that was the combatant commands at the time. So what, what this Bollander memo tells us is that there were separate reporting mechanisms secretly in place whereby trivial UFO cases went to Blue Book while UFO cases with national security uh, implications went to com command level authorities, that is the combatant commands. So uh, that was happening uh, in the 1950s, in the 1960s, during the Project Blue Book era, and it is happening now. So uh, here's uh, the information on the, the Bollander memo. It shows you that uh, this was actually a official document that was released uh, through the Freedom of Information Act confirming that there were these two, th there was the, this twin track of reporting UFOs based on their national security implications. Um, and, and so that existed during the Project Blue Book era, and I think it's fair to say uh, we can be certain that it continues today. So in short, uh, the Inspector General's report is really only, only focusing on those trivial UFO cases that don't have national security implications that are generally reported, because these don't have, traditionally have not gone to the combatant commands. Only the more serious cases are going there. But now what we're witnessing with uh, the this new kind of era is that uh, you're, you're having the military, uh, you're having the Navy, you're having the uh, Air Force and the Space Force uh, releasing some of these files which traditionally were reported to them and, and kept apart from the kind of like more mundane reports. And now the Navy and the Air Force are releasing these. So this is what is being reported now and, and getting out into the public arena. Um, and, and some of these craft presumably are extraterrestrial or crypto-terrestrial in, in origin, or at least this is what, where, the, where, the, where the current spin is, is going or heading. So you can just go to my Twitter feed to get to the links to those. Now we turn to this uh, tweet about Yuri Geller. He tweeted that Werner von Braun showed him alien bodies at a NASA facility, uh, presumably the Marshall Space Flight Center, which is uh, where von Braun was based. I mean, he was the director of the Marshall Space Flight Center. It's very telling. Now, why would uh, Werner von Braun tell Yuri Geller, who 
achieved worldwide celebrity in the early 1970s because of his advanced psychic abilities. Now, as I've already mentioned, there has been great interest in individuals with psychic abilities uh, by those running secret space programs. That has been going on for, for decades, and, and, I, and I mentioned uh, Stephen Greer talking about it, that, acknowledging that. So it's no surprise to me that in the early 1970s, Yuri Geller was consulted because as a psychic, uh, they wanted to use him. And, and it's quite clear that Yuri Geller has been working with the Mossad uh, since, uh, since the very beginning uh, when his psychic abilities uh, became well-known. And, and so it's, it's not a great surprise that the US intelligence community wanted to have him used as a consultant or have, have him kind of share some of his information of what he knew about extraterrestrials. And, and he knew some important information about extraterrestrials. Um, at the time, he was working with uh, Andrea Poharich, and he was very familiar with the Council of Nine and 24 extraterrestrial civilizations that were saying that they were going to be coming back and they were going to disclose their existence to the world. Yuri Yeller was involved in all of that. So it's no great surprise that the secret space programs were interested in Geller and wanted to get his take on things. And so uh, they they got Werner von Braun to show him things. I mean, it's, can you scratch my back, I scratch yours. You, I showed you these alien bodies at a secure facility. You tell me what you know about these 24 extraterrestrial civilizations uh, coming back into uh, coming back into our solar system and wanting to disclose their existence to the world. So I kind of like, you know, I think that, that quid pro quo was, was happening. And that's often what happens with contactees. So, uh, and, and, and tell this incident that Yuri Geller describes is, is very telling. It, what it reveals is that Werner von Braun was read into extraterrestrial-related special access programs. So, you know, there's some people that believe that Werner von Braun, he was a rocket scientist and he didn't know anything about the flying saucer uh, programs that were under uh, being uh, developed in Nazi Germany. Well, what this tells us is that, yes, he was very familiar with, with that. Importantly, it also showed that uh, Werner von Braun had sufficient authority to show people like Geller around. Now, why would a former Nazi who was placed in uh, this senior position within NASA Heading the, the former, uh, heading the Marshall Space Flight Center, which was actually running the Apollo program, wh why would he be allowed to do this? And I think the reason why is because agreements have been, ma been made between the US government and this Fourth Reich, this mysterious Fourth Reich that had escaped Nazi Germany before the end of the Second World War, relocated to South America and to the Antarctica, where they built an advanced secret space program. And they achieved remarkable success and agreements were reached. So, so I believe that based on all of the data that I was able to put together in two books, and those books are Antarctica's Hidden History, 2018, and also Space Force, our Star Trek future that came out in 2021, that secret agreements were reached between the US government and NASA 
with this Fourth Reich or the Dark Fleet, this German Dark Fleet, operating out of Antarctica, and that the Apollo program, while it got an American to the moon, it got Germans to Mars and beyond. In other words, the Apollo program was really run as a cover for vast amounts of equipment, funding, and manpower to be given to this German deep dark fleet program operating out of, Antarctica, out of Antarctica so that they could colonize Mars and colonize planets outside of our, of our solar system. And in exchange, uh, the US military uh, would, would get a lot of the know-how, a lot of the kind of scientific information they needed for reverse engineering captured extraterrestrial spacecraft that they had in their possession. So I, I think uh, Yuri Geller's revelations about Werner von Braun are very significant, well worth paying attention to. So here's something uh, from uh, a interview, a rare interview was released by Richard Boylan, Dr. Richard Boylan. He uh, did a lot of research on this mysterious researcher or this mysterious whistleblower, Dr. Michael Wolf, who I think it was in around the, the mid 1990s, 1996, that uh, went went public, and and he began to give interviews to different researchers. I believe uh, Richard Boylan did uh, an extensive number of uh, telephone interviews with uh, Michael Wolf, uh, but. Paula Harris uh, actually did physical interviews where she actually travelled to Connecticut to interview him. And what she found, she found a lot of um, documents there and had experiences there that proved to her beyond the shadow of a doubt that Michael Wolfe was genuine. He was a genuine bona fide whistleblower who knew about secret space programs going back to the 1970s, that he was uh, one of the principal scientists involved in, in this. And uh, I, I think that uh, one of the kind of best sources to confirm that Michael Wolf was genuinely involved in the secret space programs was that he was uh, often on the phone with top scientists that Paula Harris knew while she was spending time with him at his apartment, interviewing him and getting him on 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 tape. I think she's got uh, extensive uh, audio tapes of Michael Wolf uh, revealing all he knew, and and she heard people like Dr. Hal Putoff that she knows very well personally, and he he was on a first name basis with Michael Wolf. So there there have been armchair critics like uh, Stanton Friedman was probably one of the best-known armchair critic of Michael Wolf because Stanton Friedman never actually physically went to interview um, Michael Wolf, nor did he ever go to interview physically David Adair, nor did he go to physically interview Bob Lazar. So I, th I think what, what you have here is that Often you have these um, armchair ufologists that do this debunking from a distance, and what they do is a variation 
of, of the same mantra, which is show me the evidence. What? You don't have any evidence to show me? Well, then you're a fraud. Now, you know, there's a lot of problems with that. You know, first of all, uh, you know, if you're a genuine whistleblower, why should you threaten, you know, put yourself under threat, put your family under threat by showing someone you don't know who's a critic evidence that can get you into a lot of trouble? You know, why would you show that? And, and secondly, why would you show people or, you know, why would you work with a person that's going to debunk you because you're not willing to share them whatever evidence you have? or open the door to sensitive information that can get you into trouble. Um, so, you know, to me, that was always the problem uh, with a lot of these armchair critics that just use the same mantra. I mean, anyone can do it. You don't have to be. You can just be, a, and people are. You can you can uh, be a senior out of high school and just say, you know, just do a variation. Go to anyone, any whistleblower and say, show me the evidence that you really saw this. And, and if that whistleblower doesn't have the evidence, well, uh, you, you're a fraud. You're making it up. You're delusional. And, and it's like, well, anyone can do that. Uh, and, and so this has been the, the kind of process that a lot of uh, critics or debunkers have taken. And Stan Friedman uh, was a, a debunker. He debunked Michael Wolff. He debunked uh, David Adair. He debunked Bob Lazar. Uh, using that uh, variation on that show me the evidence mantra. Now, uh, I, I don't want to be too disrespectful for Stan Freeman because he did do some good work. I mean, he did actually uh, do work on showing the validity of some of the Majestic documents, and that, that actually was very, very valuable. Uh, but nevertheless, I think uh, we need to acknowledge that people like Dr. Michael Wolf have been unfairly criticized by many ufologists uh, because they maybe have not been too willing to share uh, all their evidence with them. Right, so that covers all the stories uh, for this week in review. I did want to announce uh, that firstly, my next webinar is going to be on next week. It's going to be titled what's coming in 2023 catastrophic disclosure so i'm going to be covering all of the data that points to 2024 being a bumper year for ufo disclosure so 2024 what's coming uh, i think we're going to have in incredible revelations and i think we're going to head towards catastrophic disclosure because of the controlled disclosure initiative failed so I will explain more of that and, and give you a, a lot of data to digest in the webinar. It's one week away. And also, I want to announce the trailer for the webinar will be released um, in tandem with this week in review. So you can watch the trailer for the webinar. It runs for three minutes. Uh, it was made uh, by my videographer and webmaster, Jazz Marlin, who did another great job with that. So you can watch the trailer by just going to my YouTube channel or going to exopolitics.org. So that's it for this week. Don't forget to like, share uh, this video to others to overcome the YouTube algorithm. So thank you and aloha. You have been listening to Exopolitics Today with Dr. Michael Sala. Please remember to like, share, and subscribe to this channel. 
Join or start a conversation in the comments. Take the time to explore the vast library of best-selling books, webinars, and podcasts by Dr. Sala. Visit exopoliticstoday.com.